Chapter 2 of The Planet Mappers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by J. Scott. The Planet Mappers by Edward Everett Evans. Chapter 2. When the boys woke up the next morning, their mother reported that their father had apparently had a restful night coming out of his coma briefly a couple of times. After breakfast, the boys went into the control room and began examining the various instruments and recorders on the panel to see if they could figure out how much longer it would take them to reach the system their father was seeking. Through the visiplates, they could now see not only the sun toward which John said they were heading, but even its nearer planets were beginning to show appreciable disks. As they were studying these, Jack suddenly asked, how do you suppose we happen to run into a meteor, way out here in space like that? John shook his head helplessly. Darned if I can figure it out. I always suppose such stuff was only found inside a planetary system. Must be there's some in deep space, though, since we sure as Perch got hit by one. He reached into his pocket and pulled out a small, marble-sized stone. Here it is. I hunted around and found it last night. It dented Father's bulkhead, but must have lost so much momentum it couldn't penetrate. Just one of those billions-to-one chances, eh? Jack looked up from his examination of the stone. Yeah, there's still so much about space nobody knows yet. Jack thought silently for a moment, and then asked, Well, what do you think we should do next? Keep going, Natch. John's voice was earnest. We can't be more than a couple of days away from the nearest planets, and we're over six weeks out of Terra. Pop said this system we're heading for has four or five planets at least, and that probably two and three and maybe four would be fairly Earth-like and habitable. So long as we're so close, it would be wrong if we didn't at least take a close-up look-see at them. Yes, slowly. Father'd want us to do that. You know darn well he would. He's sunk almost everything he's got into this ship, and this trip. And if we miss now, the government probably wouldn't give us another exclusive crack at it, even if we could scrape up the credits to come out here again. Didn't Father say something the other day about his spectroanalyzer, you know, Annie? Showing there was, yeah, Annie popped up strong on that, and that's another reason we've got to keep going, especially since you think Pop will snap out of it in a few days. You're sure of that, aren't you? He peered intently into his brother's eyes. Yes, as far as I can tell. There's a concussion where his head hit the floor, but I don't think it's too bad. And it should wear off soon. John sighed with relief. If... if he was dead, or dying, it would be different, and I'd say go home. But there's another thing. Before we left Terra, we heard a rumor. Slick Bogan was chasing around out in this sector, and we don't want to let him beat us to this system. Bogan? That's the notorious pirate, isn't it? No. If he's out here, we don't want to let him beat us. Though, what could we do if he did try? I don't know. We'll figure that out if he tries to hijack us. <laughs> you hope. There was a long silence while the boys studied their instruments again. Then... What about landing, Chubby? Can you do it? Well, I've been studying up on it. Put on the sleep instructor last night. 
John was suddenly half-frightened with this prospect, but determined to keep his voice level. I've helped Pop land the crate several times, even handling the controls under his instructions, so I think I can do it, with your reading off the manual to me. Anyway, if... Well, if Pop gets worst, we've got to land sometime, so we might as well try it here, as any time, or anywhere. Jack stood silent, a long moment, rubbing his hands through his hair as he did, when concentrating. Then he looked up with determination. John, you and I have got ourselves a job to do. And now his voice was steady and earnest. It's up to us to take care of Mother, and to keep her from worrying. So, whenever we're where she can hear us, we've got to act brave and sure of ourselves, no matter how we feel inside. Yes, she's all broken up about Pop. We ought to do most of the work, too, so she— No, Jack shook his head. That'd be the worst thing we could do. She isn't sick, physically, and if she keeps busy, she won't have time to worry too much. So we must keep her from having too much idle time. Oh, well, maybe you're right, Owl. Yes, I guess you are, at that. That's more your dish. But we can act like everything's going to jet fair. It's a deal. He held out his hand, and the two brothers clasped in agreement. They went into the living quarters. Hi, Mom. Lunch ready yet? I'm starved. Mrs. Carver looked up apathetically from the recline seat where she had been sitting, worrying, during the several hours the boys had been in the control room. She looked as though she were almost shocked at their seemingly heartless question, forgetting that she, herself, had used the same excuse the night before. But in a moment she smiled tremulously. I guess I let myself forget my job and that we have to go through the motions of living. She rose slowly, and the boys came and put their arms around her. Mr. C. wouldn't want me to break down like this. I'll try to do better. She gave her sons a quick hug and went into the little galley, where they heard her moving about from the deep freeze to the cupboards to induction cooker. Soon the smells of appetizing food spread throughout the ship. John had gone back into the control room and picked up the real book on astrogation, opening it to the chart of the pilot panel. He was still studying this and tracing from the diagrams in the book the controls, switches, and recorders on the panel itself. He memorized each one as he went along and made sure he knew its functions. When Jack called him into lunch, John carried the reel with him and continued studying it as he absent-mindedly ate. His preoccupation with it raised his mother's fears again. Can you make anything out of it, son? Huh? He roused himself then and grinned at her. Sure, Mom, it's easy. Pop taught me most of it already, and I'm just refreshing my mind. I'll set us down in one piece, don't you fear? How soon will we arrive? Well, about tomorrow noon, I think, by our clocks. No telling what time it'll be there. I'll take measurements again and make sure, right after I'm through eating. We must be about ready to step up our deceleration. He looked at his mother more intently, and his voice was so earnest it broke from baritone to a childish treble in places. Mom, I'm not questioning your authority or anything, but you said yesterday that Jack was to be in charge until Pop wakes up? Now, Jack doesn't know anything at all about astrogation, and while I don't know it all, I do know more than he does, and I'll have to handle it. So what about me being in charge of the ship when we're in flight or on landings and takeoffs? and Jack 
in charge of other times. Though whatever you say goes, of course, he added hastily. Somewhat to his surprise, his brother sided with him. The elder seemed to realize that this was no time for one of their friendly squabbles about which one was to be top man, that their very safety depended on the fact that whichever knew the most about any one thing should be the one to have the say about it. Their mother looked from one to the other helplessly. I... I guess that will be all right. You two figure out things between you. You're all the men I have now, until your father... She almost broke into tears then, but she pulled herself together. Yes, you do whatever you think is best about such things. We'll handle it, Jack assured her. But you'll still be boss-in-chief. You say when and what, and Jack and I'll figure out how, John grinned. She stretched out her arms and grasped each by the hand. My big boys, I'm sure we'll come through safely. You're getting to be real men. Then she changed her tone and asked, You're going to land on one of those planets, then, as Mr. C. planned? Being so close, it seems best, Jack answered. How long we stay will depend on what we do or don't find there. Yes, we need a few days' rest on firm ground before we start back to Terra, at least. We want to freshen our air, if we can, and maybe get some fresh food. Besides, we ought to try to get all the necessary data to prove Pop's discovery if the planets are in uninhabited but worth colonizing. I agree, seconded Jack. Even if we have to land in some secluded spot and just rest. I'll leave it up to you, then. Their mother appeared more like her usual happy self than the boys had seen her since the accident. I'll keep house like I always have, and you boys do whatever else you think best. Jack laughed. We'll be like those musketeers and that old book I read some time ago, all for one and one for all. He held out his hand dramatically. Put your hand in mine and we'll all swear to it. Laughing, they did as he suggested, although their mother pretended severity. You know I don't like swearing, boys. Jack grinned. But I meant this in the sense of taking an oath, not of cussing. Oh. She crinkled her nose at him, grinning with her old-time impishness. That's different. John rose from the table. I'll get back to my studying. Now you listen to your mother and don't study too hard, she warned, knowing how he was apt to lose himself in his books. You need plenty of rest for tomorrow. All right, Mom. But when she went into the control room long after dinner, he was still deep in his real book. She took it away from him. Get to bed, John. You promised. Sorry, Mom. Just got so interested I forgot time. He kissed her. Night, Mom. And don't worry, we'll make out swell. I'm sure of it. Her words were brave, but he could see the tears were perilously close. You better ask Jack for some barbet, or you won't sleep any better than you did last night, he counseled. Remember, he and I are going to take turns watching Pop. Thank you, son. Good night. He touched a switch, and the glow lights dimmed and went dark as he followed her out. All the next morning, Mrs. Carver and her two sons were in the control room, except for their frequent trips to Mr. Carver's bunk to see how their patient was getting along. They were studying through the telescopic visiplates the solar system they were rapidly approaching. 
John had figured the sun was a tight G, dwarf, much like Sol, but a little larger. It had, they now knew, only five planets. Three of these, two, three, and four, had seven satellites among them. From their distances from the sun, the boys figured that probably two and three would have climates that human colonists with some adaptation could stand. Now they were peering even more closely into their plates as the ship circled the globe beneath them. John had maneuvered it into a spiral course around planet two, in such a manner that, from a height of about a hundred miles, they could get a good view of the world beneath them in their telescopic plates. "'Lots of plant life, but I haven't seen anything that looks like cities,' Jack said that last. "'Nor I,' from their mother. And, "'Me neither,' John added. Their first measurements of this new planet had shown it to be almost the size of Terra, and they had been delighted to see that there was a moon of considerable size, although not as large as Luna. It was about 150,000 miles out. "'There are a number of large seas, or oceans,' Jack commented without taking his eyes from the visiplate. "'Look at that life, though. It evidently coats the whole planet.' From here it looks like jungle. Lots of lakes and rivers on it. And in those plains we saw? John was excited. It sure looks like a wonderful world where men can live. As they crisscrossed the planet from pole to pole, they saw small ice fields around each. That means there'll be varied seasons here, John stated. Not necessarily, Jack argued. In fact, while possible, it's not even probable. "'Says you,' John sniffed. Then later, "'I figure the year here at about three hundred days. Just an approximation, of course, but probably within five percent. I'm not too good at such things.' Eh, "'You're probably wrong,' Jack snorted, and their mother interpreted what she thought was the beginning of another of their interminable arguments. "'Are you going to land here, or go on to another planet first? she asked John. I'm going low enough to test the atmosphere and temperature before I decide, he told her. Well, resignedly, do as you boys think best. John manipulated his controls, and as the ship tilted slightly, they could see in their plates the ground coming closer. Slowly, under the increased reaction of the powerful bow tubes, the ship slowed until it was cruising at about 1,000 miles an hour, at about a mile above the surface, or the tops of the vegetation at least. Then John leveled it off. You know how to test atmosphere, Jack? he asked. The temp now is about 99.4 degrees Fahrenheit, so it probably isn't over 110 at ground level. Yes, father taught me that. Jack moved over to the hull wall, where there was an atmospheric trap and the mechanism that tested and recorded the contents of any air they might encounter on a new planet. He worked this and studied the results. This latest invention of Terran aeroscopic techniques was simple to operate. A chart, already prepared to show the constituents of Earth's atmospheric limits compatible to human needs, was placed beneath a stylus. The latter drew a curve showing the components of the new air and if the line did not go above or below the red one on the prepared charts, the atmosphere was safe for human consumption. 
Carbon dioxide's a little higher. And when I tested density with a spring balance, the ten-pound weight showed nine and a half, Jack reported. That means we'll feel a little lighter and won't find walking and lifting as hard. Their mother had been hovering nervously in the background. Now she stepped up and asked, Are you sure it's safe there? We will be before we go outside, mother, Jack assured her, then turned to John. Where are you going to land? As soon as I find a good spot. Keep your eyes peeled for a large clearing. But they'd only gone a few more miles when Jack yelled, There, John, off to the left, a mile or so. At his words, John increased the negative acceleration. His darting eyes spotted the clearing, and he put the ship into a circle and elevated the nose so they climbed to a height of some twenty miles. Grab that astrogation book and get ready to read me the checks, Owl. Mom, you strap in. Is Pop all right? Mrs. Carver assured him that on her recent trip to her husband's bunk she had seen to it that he was safely fastened down in anticipation of their landing. Jack picked up the book and opened it to the bookmarked page. He sank into the co-pilot seat and fastened his safety belt. Ready when you are. Their mother now reported, All fast, John. A moment while the younger boy glanced quickly at his various dials, then he said tensely, Shoot! Check decelerometer. On the hairline. Check outside air pressure. Seven, four, two. Terrain indicator. Level. Altimeter. Four thousand three hundred. Going down a hundred per second. Let her down. Anxious seconds of jockeying. John's eyes flashing from indicator to gauge to telltale to screen. His hands and feet moving here and there on the controls. The two others gasped as they saw the ground rushing toward them so swiftly. The ship landed, but with a jar that shook them all. "'Off bow, retarders!' Jack yelled. The roar of the tubes ceased, and they were almost stunned by the sudden silence. "'Down landing props!' The grind of a motor, then the gentle jar, as the ship seemed to straighten a bit. "'Props down!' "'Close fuel petcocks!' "'Closed!' "'Shut off fuel pump!' "'Shut!' All controls in neutral. John's hands flashed over several levers, knobs, and switches. Everything in neutral. He turned in his seat then, and his face wore a wide grin of triumph. We did it! We're down! He noticed his mother's white, strained face and called to her, Relax, Mom! I set you down in one piece just as I said I would. Jack broke in with a scoffing comment although his eyes showed the secret pride he felt in his younger brother's ability. Lousy landing. What's the big idea jolting us like that? You want to bust up the ship? Now, boys. Their mother hastened to break up this incipient quarrel before it had the chance to get started, which was exactly what Jack intended. I think John did exceptionally well, considering it was his first solo landing. I'm not hurt at all and I'm sure the ship isn't either. Jack pretended to look ashamed, although neither of the boys could completely hide their grins and had to face away from her. Yes, I was just letting off steam. It really was a swell job, Chubby. But John had already pushed out of his seat and was at one of the window ports peering eagerly outside. However, he did fling back over his shoulder. You helped a lot, Al. I couldn't have done it without you. The two others came up quickly to stand beside him, staring at this strange new world. 
The clearing in which the ship rested, they could now see, was about a hundred acres in extent. Near the ship, the strange grass with which the clearing was carpeted was seared and black from the landing blasts, and burned in places. But toward the huge trees that walled the clearing, the grass was its natural green state, covered with tiny whitish blossoms. The trees, visible from the ship, were mostly very tall, averaging well over three hundred feet, the carvers estimated. They looked somewhat like Douglas firs, but with a difference the Terrans could not at the moment figure out. The three could see no animal or bird life, but guessed this did not mean there was none. The jungle might be teeming with life, but it would probably have been frightened away for the time being by this strange, fire-breathing monster that had descended from the sky to land on their world. "'Think it's safe to go out?' Jack asked. "'Now you listen to your mother and don't take any chances.' "'We won't,' John told her, then answered his brother. "'We'll wait an hour and see what we can see from here, and then decide.' "'I sure want a closer look at that plant life.' Jack's eyes glistened, and he ran to get his binoculars to see better. "'I ought to examine the hull and tubes, too, to make sure they aren't fouled or corroded,' John told his mother. "'It's nearly time for lunch,' she turned away. "'At least you must stay until after that.' It was plain she was still worried, and the boys tried to reassure her and quiet her fears. When she called, they reluctantly left their vantage points at the ports and went in to eat the lunch she had prepared. Several times she had to caution them against bolting their food, as they talked eagerly of what they might find here. Finally finished, John rose. "'Come on, Al,' he urged. "'Let's go outside and give it the once-over, lightly.' "'Better break out our rifles first, the elder advised. "'No telling what we'll run into.' "'If it's dangerous enough for guns, I wish you wouldn't go.' Their mother was worried again. "'They're just a precaution, same as father would take if he was in charge,' Jack soothed. "'We won't go out of this clearing the first time.' "'You'd better give Mr. C. another feeding first, hadn't you?' Jack consulted his wrist chronom. "'Yes, it's nearly time, and we might not be back by the regular hour.' The problem of keeping their father fed and in good health apart from his head and leg injuries had not proven too hard when they became convinced that he was not going to wake up often enough to eat normally. Jack, while working as an orderly in the Centropolitan Hospital the previous summer, had assisted the interns and nurses in giving intravenous feedings to unconscious patients, so he knew the general procedure as well as the composition and quantity of the nutrient liquid to be administered. "'Will you come help me, mother?' he had asked when he was sure he was ready for the first feeding. "'We've got to find certain things in our food stores.' "'You're sure you know how to do this?' "'Yes, it's not hard. We need liquid proteins, salt, sugar, and glucose.' With his mother helping, they had gathered these things from their stores and taken them into the galley. There he had carefully measured out and mixed these ingredients into the proportions his book stated. Then he and John had gone into the workshop, and there the younger, under his brother's supervision, and with the pictures of the apparatus as a guide, had rigged up a drip regulator into the mouth of a large bottle. To this they had attached a long, slender plastic tube, and to the far end of that a large, hollow-feeding needle. As the others watched anxiously, 
Jack had inserted the needle into the large vein on the inside of his father's left elbow. With his thumb, Jack had softly rubbed the vein just above the needle's point to assist the flow of the nutrient. Soon it was done. Mr. Carver had stirred, and his eyelids had fluttered when the needle was inserted, but he had not fully regained consciousness. That first feeding so successfully accomplished, Mrs. Carver did not seem to worry quite so much about her husband. Although she was careful to keep track of the feeding times, and to remind her sometimes forgetful son of his duty. The feeding given, this day, the boys consulted together. "'Shall we wear our spacesuits?' John asked. "'I don't see why. It's hot outside, but bearable, and the air's all right,' Jack answered positively. "'I not only tested it, but I breathed the sample I took through the trap. It smells good. It hasn't hurt me, anyway. We'll take our guns, and I want my magnifying glass and knapsack for specimens. And I'll put some multiform tools in my belts.' Then, in case there's anything that needs doing on the tubes or hull, I can do it quickly. The two brothers assembled their gear, and John was just reaching for the button to open the inner door when they stopped short and shrank back. For a terrific roar came from outside. Such a tremendous sound, it penetrated even the hull of their ship. End of chapter 2